Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Happy New Year. It's good to see you guys. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, It's good to be back. I was gone last week and I heard Pastor Alec did an incredible job closing out December. You guys got to spend New Year's Eve together. What a gift. Uh, So it is great to be back though. This past week, um, I got a chance to go up to Big Bear with our family um, and some friends, and we had been watching the weather for a couple weeks before, hoping that we would get snow, but it didn't seem like that was going to happen. Uh, there's not been a lot of snow most places uh, over the last month or so. Uh, so we're like, okay, well, we're going to figure out how to keep these kids entertained, and we're going to make it happen. And so we got up there on uh, Tuesday, and the weather started to change, and we looked, and lo and behold, they said it was going to snow on Wednesday. And so we were like, yes, even if it's just like a little bit of snow. You know, we've got an 8-year-old and a 12-year-old, and uh, they don't spend a lot of time in the snow, so we're like, any amount of snow will be great. The next morning we wake up and there's like inches, probably four inches of snow on the ground and it is still falling. Like it is huge floating snowflakes. Uh, It was beautiful. The kids were thrilled. They woke up and got dressed and went out and started sledding. Uh, And whoever had stayed in this house before we had gotten there, they had set up this big umbrella on the back patio. And so it was over the patio furniture. And so we were on this porch. Uh, We were kind of bundled up, drinking our coffee, um, just watching this beautiful, serene, you know, kids sledding, you know, running into rocks, all these beautiful things that happen uh, during children's sledding activities. Uh, and it was, it was really great, though. It was this special gift of, like, the beauty of the snow and the kids getting to have so much fun. And, and it wasn't too cold outside, so we were able just to, like, sit and relax and, and just, you know, hang out. And then all of a sudden, the umbrella collapsed because, obviously, in hindsight, um, you know, snow weighs some things. And, uh, and so we were taking pictures of the kids and the umbrella collapsed and all the kids kind of freaked out because they didn't know what was happening and they couldn't see us anymore because the umbrella fell like over the front of us. And uh, my wife thought it was going to be the best idea rather than to make sure that I was okay to take a picture of it. Uh, and so we have this moment captured. <clears throat> so happy new year to all of you. My coffee was ruined. My day was ru- no. I was kidding. Uh, no, it was it was fun, but it was kind of bizarre, and it, this ties in a little bit to the message and the series that we're starting. But uh, we can take that picture down now. That's a, nobody needs to see that anymore. Uh, we uh, we're starting this series called Subtraction, and as as I was thinking about this experience and it's silly and fun and all these types of things that it was, it was a little bit bizarre to think that we were out there for so long watching this happen, and then at some point, one snowflake became too much. One snowflake put it over the top. One snowflake made this entire umbrella come crashing down. 
And I feel like in some ways our lives are somewhat similar. Like we all ride pretty close to maxed out, max capacity. Our finances are usually stretched out, our time, our energy, our relationships. Uh, you know, we, we live things pretty close to the red line in our lives. And so as we think about, you know, moving into 2024, I just got a curiosity. How many of you guys made New Year's resolutions? A handful of you guys. And I respect it, okay? Uh, but... Less and less people do this every year. This is an unofficial fact. Uh, I've just noted, as I've asked every year, less and less hands go up. Uh, in the first service, there was even less hands. There was only like one hand, maybe two hands that went up in first service. And I think it's because most of us are kind of at a place where it's like, yeah, I don't know that I want to commit to accomplishing something else this year. <laughs> I'd just like to make it through 2024. That's my goal. That's my hope. Uh, I'm not even going to say it's a resolution because I don't want to overcommit, you know, but... But there is this reality for us where we live lives that are so stretched thin, we are overcommitted, there's so much going on, and a lot of it is great stuff. If you're a parent, obviously, it's good to spend time with your kids. It's good to do these things, but it takes time. If you are working in an office, if you have your own business that you're running, if you have uh, whatever your responsibilities are, and then there's the relational sides and friendship and family and how do I continue to cultivate these things. There's the, you know, as Ez said, the marriage side and what does it look like for me to commit to a marriage course for seven weeks? I don't have time for anything, you know, but, but this is important too. And, and spiritually, how do I carve out time to read every day just a little bit in a devotional or scripture? I mean, I'm getting stressed out just thinking about all of it. And none of us have actually even talked about yet what it is that we want to do. Well, I'm sure we want to do a lot of those things. But what, what, what about the other dreams or desires that you have? Uh, and maybe it's about this year, or maybe it's just in general, something that you want to move towards in your life. We haven't even begun to explore those things and oftentimes what happens is we have so much stuff on our plate and we see other people accomplishing things or pursuing new goals. And there's this thought in our mind, it's like, man, that must be nice. That's awesome. I'm so excited for them. I couldn't do that because I have too much going on. I don't, I don't have enough capacity. I don't have enough time. I don't know, have enough energy. That can't happen for me. I've got too many obligations. I'm stretched too thin. And whether we say it out loud, whether we actually think these thoughts we begin to live our lives as though we are so busy doing everything that we have to do that we don't get to do the things that we want to do. And the have-tos are good things. Please hear me on that. Don't quit your job, okay? Uh, the have-tos are good things. You need to, there are responsibilities that we need to take care of. But what happens is we start becoming so overly uh, invested and, and, and spread thin and overcommitted and all these different things to the have-tos that we don't even get the, uh, we don't even allow ourselves the, the delight of thinking about what, what would I want to do? Have you ever had a day off where there was nothing scheduled and you were like almost frozen? Like, what do I actually want to do on this day? I've got so much time. And there's, there's this kind of like sense of, well, I should probably use it wisely. And then we feel this sense of regret of like, oh, I didn't really enjoy it enough or I didn't relax it enough. Like somehow there's even like a failure to enjoy when we don't have something going on. We, we, we feel this, this weight, this burden, this sense of frustration of the things that we have to do. And, and so the things that I want to do don't even make it into the conversation. And if you're wired like me, you probably feel a sense of guilt 
or, or selfishness when you think about like, well, why would I do what I want to do when I've got other people that I need to care for and take care of and, and these other responses, what, what a selfish thing. So I wouldn't even really allow myself to think that way in the first place because I've got responsibilities and I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to give my life for others. I'm supposed to give my time and give my energy and give my all and give my resources. I'm supposed to do those things. And I think that there's some truth there, but there's a difference between me saying, I am going to give this to you and me living my life in a way that gives everyone access to take from me, for me living my life in a way where I never stop to think about whether or not I actually have choices, whether or not I have say-so, whether or not I have agency in my own life. I can, I can make a decision. I can influence the way things are going. And we can't change every single thing about our lives, but we have been given agency, and we're called to use that in a really intentional way. I think that this is a common feeling because our culture at large it, it attempts to convince us that we can be whatever we want and we can do whatever we want and we can have as much as we want and that we should actually pursue those things. And so we get wrapped up into this, this pursuit of everything. I want to I have everything that I want to have. I want to be everything to the people around me that need me to be the, uh, this certain kind of person or whatever it is. We, we kind of fall into this trap of believing that we can do all these things. And oftentimes we don't even necessarily want to do those things. I think I've told this story before, but um, my wife and I, we've been married, uh, it'll be 16 years this year. And when we were engaged, it was 2008. And this was right before the housing market crashed, right when everybody that wanted to could have a house. Um, and so all of our friends were buying homes, and we were like, you know what? We should buy a home. And so we met with a real estate agent, and it was a guy that we knew, and we looked at all the houses that we couldn't afford, and then we found one that we could afford, and this thing was tiny. It was two-bedroom, um, but it was a really old house. These bedrooms were so small. We, this is not a joke. Uh, we, our plan was we will put the bed in this room and our dressers in that room. Like there wasn't enough room for the dressers to be in the bedroom. And we we're like, if this is the one that we can buy, we're going to do it. It would be foolish to not buy a house. And, um, and so uh, we're getting ready to sign the paperwork. And I don't remember what exactly sparked the conversation, but we, we literally had this moment where we both realized and talked with each other. They said, I don't, I don't actually even want to own a house. I don't know, like I'm just buying this because it feels like I'm supposed to, and everyone else is, and I'd be foolish not to. But then the housing market crashed, and I was a genius. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but there was this moment for us, and we look back at that, that conversation frequently because we continue to get stuck in this cycle of what is everybody else doing accomplishing, getting, having, and how do we make sure that as adults, we're doing as much as other adults. As parents, we're doing as much as other parents. As Christians, we're doing as much as other. We get st stuck in this cycle where we're doing these things, not because we want to, but it's actually because we're just trying to keep up. There was an Australian um, nurse, an end-of-life care nurse named Bronnie Ware, and she wrote um, this article, and it ended up being turned into a book a number of years ago. She cared for people that were in their last two to three months of life, and um, she kind of noted all of the conversations that she had, and, and she started to realize these themes of what people regretted 
the most as they were coming to the end of their life, the things that they wished that they had done differently. The number one thing at the top of the list was that people said, I wish that I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Again, the sense of like, man, I'm not even sure that those are the things that I wanted to do. Those are just the things that I I needed to do or I had to do. She went on and she wrote this. She said, this was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it's easy to see how many people's uh, or how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to choices they had made or not made. Man. I don't like that at all. Don't put that responsibility on me. I'm not able to achieve my dreams because of other people, because of other bosses who are idiots, because of friends who don't, they need too much, because of my family who's got all these issues. I gotta, it's other people's fault that I don't get to pursue my dreams, right? No. What she's saying is that Person after person, the number one thing is that they realize that they made choices or didn't make choices. And that's what kept them from accomplishing or experiencing the things that they were passionate about, the things that they wanted to do, who they wanted to be. And the reality is, and this is really the crux of what we're talking about today, the reality is is that if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. If you don't make choices of what you will do or what you won't do, someone else will make those choices for you. And they may not be doing it intentionally. You know, kids have needs and they're asking for help and, you know, legally I've got to do that, okay? Uh, so they will continue to ask. People will continue to ask friends, coworkers, companies, bosses, uh, whatever it might be, churches. We will continue to ask. We will. If you don't prioritize your life, other people will do it for you. Now, kids, work, marriage, church, all important things. But you have to say, okay, here's how I'm going to carve out my time. Here's what I'm going to say no to so that I can say yes to other things. Here's the space that I'm going to leave myself so that I can actually breathe and and stay healthy and not get sick as soon as Christmas break hits and I get to slow down for a second. There's, There's these choices that we get to make. We get to have a say in this. There's a story we're going to be looking at over uh, the next few weeks, this series as a whole. It's the story of Nehemiah. Uh, On your seats, you guys should all have one of these um, cards, and there's a reading plan on the back. And so what we're inviting you to do is we're inviting everyone at all of our campuses to read the book of Nehemiah together in the Bible. Um, And there's a little reading plan there. It's really easy to do. It's a really powerful story. There's a lot of really incredible leadership insight, spiritual insight, and, uh, and it's just a really cool story to be able to read together. And so I want to invite you to read along with us. We won't be able to read every verse and every chapter on Sundays, um, but we're going to look through a few main beats of this story as it helps us understand how can we take hold of our life? How can we be intentional about our time, our choices, 
the backstory here, uh, Nehemiah lived about 450 years before Jesus was born, for a frame, frame of reference on like a timeline type of scale. About 450 years before Jesus was born, Nehemiah lived, uh, and, and he lived at a time where, uh, if you're familiar with uh, some of the Bible stories, Israel had been this incredible country, blessed by God, and then they had been taken captive by Babylon, and they were in exile, which meant that they were taken from their homeland, and they were forced to live in Babylon, and they didn't have their temple, and there was all these pagan idols, and they were upset about all this different stuff, and, and, and God spoke to them, and God told them through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, you're going to be here for a long time, but I have a plan but you should marry your children and plant gardens and build homes and you're going to be here for a while, but, but you will get to go home at some point. And so when we get to the story of Nehemiah, Babylon had just begun to allow Israel to go back to their homeland, back to Judah, back to Jerusalem. And so people had started to make this journey. It was about 900 miles. Uh, it's about the distance of here to Boise, Idaho uh, on foot. Or, or donkey, maybe, I don't know. So this is the journey that people are going back to their homeland. And they get to their homeland, and they get to remember that our home has been destroyed. It's been burnt down. The gates are off the walls. The walls had been knocked down. The, and the walls were this symbol of strength and prosperity and safety and, and beauty for the city. And so they make this journey home after being in exile for however many years, and they finally get home just to be reminded of everything that they had lost, this thing that they cared so deeply about. And so we jump into the story of Nehemiah, and one of his brothers was one of the first ones to get home, and he came back to talk to Nehemiah. And chapter 1, verse 1 is where we'll start. <clears throat> it says, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Are you impressed? <clears throat> uh, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. He's like, I want to know. We finally got to go home. What's it like to be there? And this is what they say. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, Nehemiah's writing, he says, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. He's absolutely devastated because this home that he loves, this city that he loves, that he had never lived in, in his life, but what it represented to him, the hopes, the dream that he had of where he would be able to go, it was destroyed, and he was absolutely grieved by this. I think that we all understand a little bit of what that feeling might be. Some of us have had situations where your home has actually, there's been a fire or uh, maybe someone has broken in or whatever it is, and there's that feeling where it's like, man, I, I, I've been... There's something that's like broken through. I feel unsafe. I'm sad. I feel weird. I feel like there's so much loss and, and, and there's just this disconnect that happens from this thing that's supposed to be kind of a, a refuge for us. Some of us have felt that just in other aspects of our lives. 
we felt what it looks like to have someone take advantage of us or someone to abuse us in a way that was not appropriate, when boundaries have somehow been crossed or crumbled. We want to change, but we don't always feel like that we can. We want to experience hope. We want to, we want to figure out how do I move towards this thing. And so uh, Nehemiah, it's interesting because, you know, if you get a book in the Bible named after you, you must be pretty important. Uh, most of the people are somehow, they're like priests or prophets or kings. Um, and Nehemiah was none of those things. Uh, it's interesting. Ne- I mean, he was an incredible man. And we're going to continue to see his story unfold over the next few weeks. But he was none of those things. His title was cupbearer of the king. He just had a day job. It was not a fancy job. I mean, sure, he got to spend a lot of time with the king. Um, but just to kind of give some clarity... His job was to drink the wine to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. So he had a lot of, a lot of proximity to the king, very disposable. Uh, and, and so, but he didn't have a lot of power. He didn't have a lot of say-so. Uh, he didn't really have a lot of influence. Uh, he was just a, a regular guy. He didn't get to control every aspect of his life. And some of you may know what that feels like. But there's this reality that he's not a priest or a prophet or a warrior. He was a cupbearer. So he had more access to the king than some, but definitely not a lot of power. So pushing back, making decisions about his life, choosing what he wants to say yes to and no to, it wasn't really something that he would have felt like he had the ability to do. But Nehemiah, he goes on, he reads this, or he prays this prayer that you can read in in Nehemiah chapter 1. It's a really beautiful prayer, and the gist of it is, God, you've made promises to bless your children. If we would live our lives the way you've called us to live, that you would rebuild who we are as a nation. And I'm asking you to do that now. It's essentially what Nehemiah begins to pray. Help us experience the things that we feel called and hopeful and have dreamt about experiencing for years and years. The story goes on in chapter 2. It says, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried. Sorry, I say that weird. I'm from North Carolina. (laughs) Buried is how you guys say it. The city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven. So he had already spent this time in prayer. And then in that moment, he sends up just another quick one. Have you guys ever done one of those prayers before? Oh, God, don't fail me now. If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are, are buried. I almost said it again. So, he says, if it pleases you, and if you are pleased with me, a cupbearer, send me 900 miles away so I can rebuild this city. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. He has no right to ask. He has no reason to believe that he can rebuild a city. The king has no reason to let his favorite cupbearer go anywhere. I mean, it's such a crazy thing, but there's this thing inside of him that becomes so important that it's worth the risk. It's worth asking. 
It's worth saying no to something. It's worth saying, hey, this is how it's all been going. And I'm going to put all of this to the side in order to pursue or chase after this thing that is incredibly important to me. We can put a lot of different names to it. A dream, a calling, a passion, a desire. We can call it all kinds of different things. But there is something inside of him that causes him to get to a place where he says, this is important enough to say no to other things, to ask risky favors and questions, to make dangerous decisions. For him, it's worth it. Nehemiah understood this fact, this reality, that you can live your life by design or you can live your life by default. That there's an option, that you have a choice, that you actually have some agency, some say-so, the ability to to make a choice, to to make a movement, to make a, a decision, to make a plan, or you can continue to let things go as they are going. And, and the reality is, and I'll just speak for myself, and I don't know if anybody else feel this, most of the time, I'm just too tired to make the choices. And so I'm just going to live by default. I don't know that I have the energy to figure out the way to make these other things happen. What if I carve out all this energy and I use all these resources and I call in all these favors and then it doesn't work? I'm just going to let this train keep going on the tracks that it's on. But we do have that choice. And the reality is, is that we're all making it all the time. Every one of us is making this choice every day. If I can just let things go as they are by default, or I can be intentional about what I am moving towards, what I'm pursuing in my life. The reality for Nehemiah to be able to make these decisions, there's some things that he had to believe were true. And I think that there are things that can help us and there are things that we may understand intellectually, but we don't always live like they're true. We don't understand them in our heart, if you will. And there's these three things. Uh, The first one is that I cannot have it all, be everything to everyone, or do it all. I cannot have it all, I cannot be everything to everyone, and I cannot do it all. Um, When we were up in Big Bear, uh, there was... uh, we took all this food, right, all this water and food, water bottles and, you know, a million boxes of individually wrapped snacks for two children. Uh, and so we ended up with this massive pile of all of these empty boxes and water bottles, and I needed to clean out the kitchen, and so I was going to take this stuff to the trash can that was outside in the garage, and obviously it's all empty, so it's very light, so I just piled all of it at one time. It was very impressive. (laughs) Balancing act. I made it all the way to the last step in the garage, which I stumbled a little bit. And then everything went flying all over the garage. Um, And it was, you know, obviously I said only pure and godly things in that moment. I was very happy and self-controlled. But there was this reality where it's like, man, it would have taken me less time just to do three trips. But in my mind, it's like, I'm just going to do all of this now. I'm going to do all of this at once. It's all light. These things don't weigh anything at all. But there was other things that I was sacrificing in order to carry everything at once. And one of those was I couldn't see the step. (laughs) 
And we have to recognize that we cannot have it all, be it all, and do it all, all the time. We have, to, we have to come to a place where we know that, and we have to do some things in our lives. Maybe there's people in our lives that will help remind us of that. Because we just like to get the stuff done. And it takes longer if I ask other people to help. And it takes longer if I take multiple trips. And it's just easier if I do this for them because it'll be hard and it'll take time for them to do it. And I love them and I want to help them. We just, we get stuck in this place, but we have to internalize this reality. The second one is that I can let certain things go. Only a few things matter. Not everything is is as important as it's made out to be. We have to recognize that we can let certain things go. When I started out in ministry, um, I don't remember where this quote was from. I have tried to find it over the last number of years, and I can't find it. But there is a, a quote from a pastor uh, who had been in ministry for years and years. And I was reading this book about him, and he said, essentially, he's like, the work is never done. And it's true in church ministry, but it's probably true in all of your lives in some way. The work is never done. It's not very often that you get to clock out. You're always on on some level. And so we talked about this idea of how every day, at the end of the day, he would leave his church and he would say, okay, God, I'm clocking out, you're up. And for him, it was like this really intentional way of saying, I am going to begin to care for myself. I'm going to be intentional about protecting this time. I'm going to be intentional about reminding myself that I can say no to certain things at certain times. There's a leadership author and speaker named John Maxwell. He's written like 7,000 books. And he has this uh, quote that just cracks me up because it's very poignant and very true. He says, you cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. You cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything, which just feels like a really encouraging quote. But what he's really saying is there's probably three or four things in your life that are crucially important, and everything else is great. But if you have to whittle things down, almost everything can be said no to. Almost everything can be adjusted, changed, minimized, shifted. The third thing that we have to believe, we have to internalize, is that I have choices about the way that I live. Now, every one of us has different situations in life. Every one of us has different financial realities, relational realities, parents, not parents. You own a home, you don't own a home, uh, whatever it is. We all have different kind of chess pieces on the board. But we have choices about how we live. We have choices about how we choose to navigate these realities. We have choices about what we want to work towards, what we want to find freedom from, where we want to invest, where do we want to build hope, where do we want to make changes. We have choices about that. Oftentimes, we just assume that we don't. We assume that the choices have been made for us. This is my lot in life. I've made this mistake, and now I'm just going to have to carry it forever. I've made this decision, and now it's just going to be a part of my, it's going to define who I am. But we are ridiculously in charge of our own stories. We cannot be forced to do what we don't want to do on a consistent way. And if we choose to believe that we don't have a choice, that in and of itself is making a choice. That's saying, okay, I'm just going to live by default then. 
because I don't have a choice. I'm just going to throw up my hands and see how it goes. Moses, uh, not our senior pastor, Moses. Uh, let my people go, Moses. Uh, he, uh, a lot of people don't know this. He actually wrote many of the Psalms. And there's a, a Psalm, uh, chapter 90, there's a portion of it that I want to read. And it may be a little familiar to you, but he wrote this. He says, we may journey through life for 70 years. Some may live and breathe 80 years if we are strong. Yet our time here is only toil and trouble. Soon our days are gone and we fly away. Very hopeful. Thank you, Moses. But then he says this. He says, teach us to number our days so that we may truly live and achieve wisdom. It may be obvious, but I just want to break it down briefly. We are all going to die. We are all given an allotment of time. And we can just let it ride, or we can become aware of that, asking God to teach us to number our days. Not to say, like, this is exactly how many I have left, but to be aware, where am I at in my journey? Am I in my last three months, like these people were with Brownie Ware, and in those last weeks or months realizing, I wish I would have done this stuff sooner, but now it's too late. Or I'm at a place now where I can start to make some changes. Teach us to number our days so that we may truly live, not by default, but by design, intentionally. Truly live and achieve wisdom. And wisdom looks a lot of different ways. I mean, I keep trying to find it. I can't. I'm just kidding. Wisdom, it could be a lot of different things. But wisdom for us in our marriage and in our life has been we're going to make life choices based on the priorities and values that our family has, not based on what other people are doing. And it's not because other people are necessarily doing things wrong. It's just that they got a different life. They got different values. They got different priorities. We are invited to make choices. We are invited to realize what we have been given and we're called to steward that. And a lot of times we talk about stewardship just with money, but it's about anything that you have been entrusted with, you get to steward. Your time, your kids, your marriage, your friendships, your apartment, your home, your hoopty, your Maserati, like whatever it is that you've got, you are invited to steward those things, to be aware of what it is, to truly live and achieve wisdom. Nehemiah chose to live intentionally, by design. He took the risk. He was willing to step out and say, I need to say no to this thing because this is so important. And what did the king say? The king, with his queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Now, this week while I was off, I watched three movies, and two of them were to be continued, and I hated it. <laughs> but this story is to be continued. We will pick this up next week. We're going to continue looking at the story of Nehemiah and learning from his life. You can read ahead if you want. We have the reading plan. But for us today, as we sit, if you will, on the back porch 
looking at the year ahead, at all of the beauty and the wonder and the fun and the possibilities, and just enjoying this moment. I wonder if we could be intentional about asking God to highlight or spotlight the things in our lives that we should prioritize, that we need to say yes to in a way that means I have to say no to some other things. I know Pastor Alec talked about this a little bit last week. We should invite God into this process of what is it that I'm going to chase after this year, this month, in my life? Am I at a place where I'm going to make a big life shift, maybe? That's our next step for this week. Maybe you already have an idea of what you want to go for. I saw four hands go up for New Year's resolutions. So I'm assuming the rest of you have no plan. I'm just kidding. But what would it look like for us to take time this week and say, God, what are the things that I need to really focus on? And really focus on in, in the dangerous and risky way of saying, I'm going to have to stop or say no to other things. I have two things this year that for me, I know I have to carve out a significant amount of time for, and I am terrified about it. I'm not going to tell you what they are. (laughs) Not everything in my life is an open book, okay? Um, But I'm, I'm very aware that these will not happen if I don't say no to some other probably good things. I'm on this journey with you guys, and we can take this journey together. We can remind ourselves that we cannot have it all, be it all, and do everything. We can say no to things. We have say-so in our lives. And that if there is something in your heart that is burning, there's a passion, there is a desire, there's a dream, it is very likely that that is something that God created you with. And I want you to be encouraged to run towards that. I want you to to feel the courage to run towards that this year. Let's pray together. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.